Brady. This is Club Hell. Thanks for coming, kids. Hey, Hello. This is Notes from the Back Row. A cinema podcast of commentary, questions, answers, dreams, fears, joy rides, hell rides, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Hello and welcome to Notes from the Back Row. My name is Dan Gorman and I will be your projectionist for our debut episode. The Back Row, found at back-row.com, is an alternative film site featuring essays, reviews, analysis, and more brought to you by a bunch of weirdos. You can expect something similar in Notes from the Back Row, featuring a bevy of segments, sometimes hosted by different weirdos or sometimes all together as you'll hear today. We'll cover anything from dusty, overlooked exploitation films through to classic art house cinema and beyond. Currently on theback-row.com, you can find two great articles themed around the Pride Month of June, such as Jenna's look at Michael Greer, who made a modest but impressive dent in the oppressively straight world of cinema in the late 60s and early 70s, as well as Veronica's dip into the world of Australian cinema's homoerotic undertones. Today on the podcast, your aforementioned co-creators of The Back Row are joined by myself and Carlo to discuss a few hits and maybe bring up a miss or two of one of cinema's most memorable and fascinating actors. Hello and welcome to the roundtable segment of this episode of Notes from the Back Row. My name is Dan and uh, we are here to discuss movies and more. And uh, I'm going to throw it to everybody to introduce themselves. Uh, we can start uh, with Jenna and then go down the list of these uh, wonderful uh, <laughs> list of our our friends here. Don't, don't laugh like that when you say wonderful, Dan. <laughs> 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 wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I am wonderful, and my name is Jenna Ipcar, and I am one of the co-founders of Back Row, and uh, yeah, this is our website that we started, Veronica and I, to uh, basically just tell you all the stuff that we would have told the void either way, so thanks for listening and paying attention. And uh, this is Veronica, I'll pass the ball here, digitally. <laughs> yeah, I'm Veronica, I am another uh, co-founder of Back Row. Uh, Jenna approached me over a year ago with this idea of putting this together because there's not enough, there's a lot of movie sites, but there's nothing that's uh, doing anything interesting <laughs> in our opinion. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. And then we have Carlo. Yeah, uh, I'm Carlo, fence the poet. Um, so yeah, you guys approached me as well a year ago to like join you in writing articles for the site, and I was really surprised because I was just doing it for shits and giggles on Letterboxd. And yeah, I uh, want to thank you again for that opportunity to like develop my writing skills and. I tend to write more about like low bro eighties nineties stuff, uh, and <laughs> and do some doodles about them. So yeah, that's me. 
Well, thank you. And then we had Dan, a podcast extraordinaire, who reached out to us and was like, let's do a podcast. And we were like, yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Podcasting is fun and it's wonderful. <laughs> so what brought us here today, other than wanting to get all of our voices uh, on the show at once and have this kind of great introduction for our listeners, was uh, that there's a new movie in theaters. It's a new Jurassic Park film. Uh, none of us are super excited about seeing it. Um, I might see it, but I'm not like dying to see it. But uh, it, one of the things that's notable about this one is that Jeff Goldblum is back. And instead of talking about how he's back in that movie, it kind of got us all thinking about uh, other movies of his. And it also kind of coincided with a number of us just happening to have watched movies starring him. So a celebration of the bloom. <laughs> Like, Jeff Goldblum is the best part of Jurassic Park. I Actually, I love original Jurassic Park. Welcome to Jurassic Park. And I still do. I saw that. That was the first movie I saw, like, three times in theaters. It also gave me the worst nightmare I've ever had in my really? life. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I still remember it's scary. That. I'm not, you know, just... I I'm was like, a child, Veronica. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> Well, but um yeah no and, and jeff goldblum to me like when i saw him i thought as a child like this is the epitome of cool like i decided <laughs> that like i was gonna like stand like jeff goldblum and i was gonna be him and like it became this whole thing that uh maybe has influenced me still i can't tell but i do still love jeff goldblum so uh yeah you know like just hearing him uh now that he's become like a, a sort of meme even i'm just like i'm loving it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we saw uh, Jurassic Park at the Castro last every Fourth of July or the July third. They show Jaws, and then they usually show one other Spielberg movie. One time they showed Rocky, but you know, kind of like Americana, uh, and they showed Jaws and Jurassic Park one year, and that scene after uh, Ian Malcolm gets hurt, and he's kind of like he's like lounging in the computer room and he's got his shirt open and he's like kind of just you know it's like yeah. this big jeff goldblum yeah. up on the screen and people went crazy the whole the whole theater <laughs> was just like ah, like screaming and cheering i was like this is yeah. great yeah i i i remember jurassic park being something that was just a little bit scary for me like i remember um my brother got to see it in theaters and i didn't and it was this big like, but I want to see this movie about dinosaurs too. So yeah, I remember it being Aww. a pretty big deal. Um, and then when I finally saw it, I loved it. Uh, <laughs> Carlo, did you 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 kind of uh, from what I've heard hate Jurassic Park? No, I Park. don't hate it. Like I have some nostalgia <laughs> love for it, but like on a recent rewatch, I wasn't just I just wasn't very into it anymore. So mm -hmm. I'm not gonna say I hate it. it like it's the same. It's the yeah, same thing with like ET. Like, I can't really watch that movie now and still call it a good movie, but I have a lot of, like, nostalgia for it. <laughs> it left, like, a huge impress impression on me. But, like, on a recent rewatch, I just I just couldn't get into it anymore. Like, I, I have the same thing with E.T., which is another Spielberg movie, so maybe it's just him. <laughs> like, I love that character yeah. of E.T. and, like, all the rip like the ripoffs. Uh <laughs> that came after it like mac and me like i love watching mac and me over and over whereas et i <laughs> like rewatched it two times in the past year or so and uh, yeah it's the same thing with jurassic park just it, it doesn't do anything for me anymore 
Like I have, I have fond yeah. memories, but that's it, really. And if people want to read more about your ET experience, they can go oh, yeah. on back rowcom <laughs> I have kind of a big <laughs> ET takedown on the site. That's true. Yeah. Um, well, I think since Jurassic Park came out in the 90s, early 90s, we can use that as a segue to discuss the film that Jenna watched that I also saw called Mr. Frost. Who is Mr. Frost? No one has been able to turn up the slightest clue regarding Frost's identity. There's no official trace of him anywhere. What has he done? And in two years, he hasn't uttered a single word? Frost is not mentally ill, Dr. Day. He has no place in your hospital. What does he want with us? Oh, in fact, who are you? I'm the Gaga man. Boo. (laughs) So, Jenna, why did you uh, feel the need to check out Mr. Frost. Well, if there's two things that I like in this world, it is movies that star Jeff Goldblum and movies that are about Satan. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's what I'm into. And so I saw that this existed and I was like, I got it. This is, this sounds great. It reminded me in in part of the movie, the prophecy with Christopher Mm -hmm. Walken, which I will admit I have not seen in like a decade, over a decade but I have very fond memories of. I remember it being like not the best movie, but Christopher Walken is just so good as Satan. (laughs) He's just perfect. Like he's super charming. And then, uh, you know, like Mr. Frost, I feel like this is the same kind of thing. It's the same type of actor, again, you know, who's playing this uh, character because Jeff Goldblum is, uh, you know, he, he uh, you know, gets sort of turned into a, a caricature sometimes, uh, even though he's really a character actor and he always brings yeah. his best when he's, uh, you know, acting. He's he's always great and he's always different. And I think that he doesn't really get credit for that. And uh, uh, same thing with Christopher Walken, for sure. It's like, you know, he's, you could you can do an impression of Christopher Walken. But if you really watch all of his movies, like he's always a different guy and he's always bringing his A game. Yeah. And uh, when I saw that you logged Mr. Frost, I got excited because it was one of those kind of weird movies that I've always heard of and wanted to see. Um, And it's basically about uh, Jeff Goldblum, who plays Mr. Frost. He is a murderer who was arrested for having all these victims buried around his, you know, mansion. And he ends up in psychiatric care. And uh, Kathy Baker plays a uh, character who's kind of trying to figure out if his claim that he is the devil is true or not. And then Alan Bates also plays a character who arrested him and then kind of becomes involved in this sort of uh, investigation as well. Yeah, it's so funny. Like, Alan Bates is so underused in this movie because he's another, like, you know, Jeff Goldblum and Alan Bates. I was like, heck yeah, I want to watch this. Yeah. But he basically becomes this sort of strange, just like throwaway love interest for uh, Kathy Baker, which on one hand, I kind of appreciate because it rarely happens that way. <laughs> but on the other hand, it was like such a waste of Alan Bates. I'm like, this guy's like a like a genius. So it's another like, you know, acting hero and like, all right, he's just going to like come and go. All right, whatever. Yeah. And he opens the movie in a in a, like a really interesting way where he like is is the one who comes to investigate mr frost and and that whole scene of the introduction of these two characters is really interesting um i kind of found that 
this is one of those movies where it's like every decision made by the writer and the director and and everyone involved just seems like this kind of slightly askew choice like the movie has this just outrageously weird tone where it's kind of careening from like really serious to really so serious it's kind of funny to darkly funny like it was a movie that I felt like on the whole, I couldn't stand behind, but there's so much going on in this movie that you almost have to recommend it to say, like, you have to see what's going on here. There's just so much happening, like, <laughs> and it's all, you know, held together by Jeff Goldblum as this guy who says he's the devil and the performance is amazing. It's almost... um a shame that as the movie goes on, you get less of him. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, they're, they're, it does seem like they changed like what they were going for halfway through, especially with that shift to, to Kathy Baker after using Alan Bates to introduce this character. There's like a whole interesting, I mean, like basically like you get this really excellent beginning where like Alan Bates just wanders onto this very fancy lot and Jeff Goldblum just admits that he's killed 24 people and uh, buried them in the yard and then offers him a baked Alaska. <laughs> yeah, and then is, throws it out when he doesn't want it. Yep, which is also <laughs> just brilliant. It's just wonderful. And then, uh, so then, I mean, then it, you cut to two years later where, uh, you know, suddenly, like, Jeff Goldblum has gained, like, 10 inches on his hair. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now he's in a this sort of mental hospital that looks a bit more like a very fancy hotel. And uh, she's trying to sort of psychoanalyze him. I mean, you're right about the tone. It's definitely weird, but also it's, it really felt so 90s. Yeah. You know, considering, like, what, this came out in 1990, right? Yes. But it, it felt like like everything I think about of the nineties, considering like it had just started, you know, it was so much like about science, like pro science, like basically like the devil, uh, or who may or may not be the devil. Uh, Jeff Goldblum says, Kathy asks him, if you're the devil, then why would you come back? Like, why would you be here? Like, what's the point of all of this? And Jeff Goldblum says that the reason why is because there's so many gosh darn scientists like doing good in this world. So he has to like come over and like screw things up again. And he's pissed that people don't believe in him because science is like progressing so fast. And like, that was just so it's like, like, let's just talk about the rainforest, which they do, by the way. <laughs> I'm like, this is just like the epitome of what I think of with the 90s is sort of like technology, science, like, you know, mm -hmm. environmentally, like awareness, like at least like talking about this stuff, whether or not it's actually happening. And then, you know, I don't know. It just, it did, it felt so like of its time in such a strange way. And it feels like the kind of movie that has all of these really interesting ideas, but is maybe a little bit too overstuffed. Like I felt like they kept introducing characters and I was like, these aren't the people I'm interested in or like, <laughs> You know, and, and like I really enjoyed that kind of through line with why he was saying that he was the devil. And, and I really, really liked where it ended and where it begins. But yeah, like the whole movie is like almost all of the movie is like redubbed, I think. Like everybody's ADR'd. Like it, like the, it seemed just everything just seems so askew. And, and yeah, it's just a little bit too, uh, too loose in terms of like the plotting. I felt like, 
you lose it in the middle and then it kind of comes back. But there's a movie in here that I think is so cool. And it's one of those movies that you kind of have to watch and be like, wow, what a nineties movie. Like <laughs> it's just, <laughs> I, I definitely would recommend it. <laughs> well, it definitely. Yeah. I mean, like, I, yeah, I really liked her conversations with Jeff Goldblum. Like whenever they have this sort of like battle of wits, it was really intriguing. And Kathy Baker actually is a really interesting uh, lead because she's very like even keeled like she does not get upset until like until like a bunch to be fair a bunch of crazy shit starts to happen you know like she she's really like interested in like holds her own and there is like a lot of wasted time like there's another part about one of her other patients who just like goes off the rails and it's just like yeah. whatever <laughs> like, I was I like I'm care. never interested in this yeah no, yeah but uh yeah I don't know it was it was definitely it, I, like I would, you know, that's a good candidate for a remake. I'd say, even though, like, I would be oh, sad yeah. to lose Jeff Goldblum in the role. No, but maybe remake it with him. That all right? I'm I'm down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I thought that as well. I thought, like, watching the movie, I thought this needs a remake. You know, bring Jeff Goldblum back, remake it, bring bring as many people back as you can. But like, yeah, like, just tighten it up a little bit. You know, this one's like 104 minutes. Like, make this a you know, an 85 minute movie where it's just that battle of wits, because every time it leaves those discussions, you're like, man, I can't wait till they get back to that. <laughs> I've never seen Mr. Frost, but I think late years Jeff Goldblum uh, would be a wonderful devil, more so even than when oh, he was yeah. younger, because he's like really leaning into that kind of demonic look he has, which I, I, I like, but you know, I think he'd be a great devil now, even, even better. Well, I think that's actually a good, uh, segue away from Mr. Frost in, into one, uh, that, uh, Veronica, you wanted to discuss, which is the Sentinel from 1977. I The Sentinel, the most frightening motion picture experience of your life, and the most revealing. Turn around. Look behind you. Be one with us. No! There is evil everywhere, and the Sentinel is the only hope. The Sentinel. Yeah, he's, yeah, I mean, he's just, he's in it so fast. He's in it for such a moment. And the reason I want to bring it up is that nobody ever, I've never heard anyone be like, oh, Jeff Goldblum's first movie or a really early movie he's in, The Sentinel. Like, nobody seems to bring it up. Even when I talk about The Sentinel, then people know it. And I go like, yeah, Jeff Goldblum's in it. They're like, really? You know, because there are other people in it. Virgis Meredith is in it. Um, so Jeff certainly wasn't, you know, he's in it for like four minutes. But I just, he's in the trailer. You know, there's a shot of him in the trailer. So I kind of can't believe that people don't know it more or know him more. But yeah, he's not in it a lot. It's, <laughs> so we can't really talk too much about it. <laughs> yeah, he had an interesting early career too because he was kind of you know it's it's funny to watch like the sentinel and watch death wish which i think is maybe his first credited uh appearance where these are movies where he's being kind of like presented as like you know not creepy but you know not 
you know, he's like in death wish he's like a gang member one of the gang that breaks in to the to the house and it's like he's kind of presented in these movies as kind of like an ominous you know kind of person right this will probably get cut because it's like on the more you know controversial side but when uh the me too and everything started and people were you know every people were getting defensive you know men a lot of men were getting defensive and going like this is a witch hunt they're just going after everyone mm-hmm. and i remember thinking to myself like if they were just blindly blaming people somebody would have blamed jeff goldblum that's how like you know this must be real <laughs> because like it's not the people you expect it's always you know it's the bill cosby types it's the people who are like mm-hmm. upstanding if they were really just going to go like all right pick someone who's probably lecherous i'd be like oh yeah jeff goldblum and then you're like oh no <laughs> see he's fine <laughs> he, he doesn't need to be but yeah so that's it is I get why they would put him into roles where he's supposed to be kind of sleazy or kind of... It's like there's a couple of roles Mm -hmm. Alan Arkin did early on that were, you know, way until dark and stuff where he played this kind of of freaky, kind of scary person. And then you see him as an old guy and you're like, oh, he's so cute. But Jeff Goldblum, (laughs) I feel like, kind of has always... There's always something a little, like, ominous about him. Um, I think he just has very intense eyes. You know, he, he like looks Huge into your soul eyes. from the movie screen. You know, like you just <laughs> see a picture of him and you're like, oh, he's looking into my soul. Yeah. And and he has that like um, ability to be suave or, or charismatic and then also turn around and have that sort of like edge right. <laughs> in the same moment. Right. Yeah. Where you could, you know he's someone who could play a role where he's supposed to slowly transition from, uh, you know, from the love interest to the nightmare. Cause it's like, yeah, you could see him. He's absolutely good looking. You could certainly see him being his own brand of suave, you know, kind of stuttery and smiling. That's kind of like the fly, right? Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) So it's, uh, I just want to say that I love, all of his like really early cameos and i gotta shout out a couple like i love him in next stop greenwich village (laughs) i've always wanted to see that which he has like a five second cameo he's just like meant to be another actor auditioning but like it's so thrilling (laughs) yeah it's like (laughs) you've seen richard like richard dreyfus is in the graduate for a split second he has one line and you're like, hey, it's Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, you see these people who are around for like a second and then become big, huge names, which is kind of him in The Sentinel, too. Oh, yeah. And he was in California Split, if you guys remember, because I know uh, yeah, Altman loved him. Altman, Altman in general, loved throwing him. Yeah, and he he plays like, I, I actually like barely remember. He was like like an office manager, right? Like a, a boss or something. And he has yeah. this massive bow tie that's about as big as his eyeballs. <laughs> Yeah, and it's adorable. I uh, I loved California Split when I saw it, but now I'm a, now I don't want to revisit it because Bill Cosby's in it. But oh shit, it's I didn't a, even think about that. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a it is a really good movie. He's also but, yeah. he also has a, a classic Annie Hall where he forgot yeah. his mantra. Yeah, so he's always great. And then I guess from the 70s with the Sentinel, we can get into the 80s because I know a few of us have seen Earth Girls Are Easy. I'm going to show you something that's going to totally change your life completely forever. She's a brunette from Southern California. And he's not. 
They may be from outer space. So, they can still be dates. Gina Davis, Julie Brown, and Jeff Goldblum in a film directed by Julian Temple and produced by Tony Garnett. I just don't want you to think Earth Girls are easy. Earth Girls are easy. Directed by Julian Temple, who had done a bunch of stuff on the Sex Pistols, was kind of a uh, um, documentarian of, of sorts um, with the sort of punk movement. Makes this kind of pseudo musical, uh, kind of alien comedy starring Gina Davis, Jeff Goldblum, Damon Wayans, and Julie Brown. And I had never seen this until just recently. Had you guys had experience with it? Oh, yeah. That's, uh, first of all, I love Julie Brown. Um, and yes. Jim Carrey's in it as well. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Which, and actually, my like not super funny story about uh, Earth Girls Are Easy is like talking to someone about it and kind of insisting that she was like oh yeah and jim carrey is one of the aliens too and i was like no i think it's just jeff goldblum she's like no jim carrey too and i was like no jeff goldblum comes out of the tanning booth for like the whole reveal scene it's just jeff goldblum and she kind of looked at me and was like do you really not remember the other men in that movie do you just remember (laughs) jeff goldblum i was like uh yes we like looked the scene up and i was like wow i don't remember damon waynes i don't remember jim carrey because it's also like recognizable people at this point and i was like yeah Yeah. i just remember jeff goldblum coming out of the tanning booth and me me being 11 (laughs) years old and just being like oh my god that that's what I want out of life. To That's look like fair. Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> See, you wanted it too. I wanted to be him. Like it was like beyond like it was beyond even like yeah. having a crush. Like I wanted to be that cool. Right. It was like that mix of when I liked the guy from Ro- who was Roger and Rent, where I was like, I think I wanna be that guy. <laughs> like I yeah. think that's I think I wanna be six three and sinewy. <laughs> it's oh, so well. funny that you bring up that Julian Temple as a documentarian because I really thought that Earth Girls are easy like it, it's like a documentary of LA yeah. you know <laughs> it, like including Angeline like I was like like why is like really okay it's probably the only thing she's done other than like live <laughs> yeah I guess Julian Temple did like a lot of documentaries for the punk stuff but also a lot of music videos which I guess also makes sense yeah oh yeah all the musical numbers look like because musical numbers don't don't really look like music videos in a musical but Mm -hmm. they do kind of in that that one there's a lot of like the music being overlaid and then uh showing scenes instead of people like usually in musicals you see them singing the whole time they're singing and then that it does kind of start turning into a more like you know, there's a montage going on with a original song in the background. So, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I uh, I, I loved this movie when I saw it, uh, like, last week. I, I particularly found the performances from, well, Gina Davis is, like, oh, my God, amazing. She's so cute. She's so good <laughs> She's in this best. movie. Yeah. Um, but I also, I was really impressed. Like, I love Jeff Goldblum, but... I'm not usually like a Damon Wayans fan or or even um, Jim Carrey. I like just fine. But I found they're kind of like almost 
not wordless, but they, they do a lot of stuff that's just sort of they're imitating English and they're saying their own language. And I found that they're like comedic performances in like the edges of the movie were actually really impressive oh, yeah. and made me laugh really hard. They were like <laughs> improv 101. Duo. Like you could you could totally tell that the, they were just like, like just yes and everything. <laughs> like, I'm going to say this. Now you all say it and then just go with it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Them kind of repeating things really made me laugh. Carlo, this is this um, is your time to shine. We're talking about yeah. your favorite you, film. Earth Girls Are Easy. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, yeah, for some reason I missed that movie completely growing up. I saw it, I think, for the first time like last year. And yeah, it kind of blew me away in like that perfect plastic, uh, bad musical 80s charm that it had. Uh, and then you've got Goldblum and Gina Davis. Uh, and like you said, like the chemistry between the like the alien characters, Jim Carrey and Damon Wayans, and they're yeah, when they're like dancing at the club or Julie Brown is uh, singing a song, it's just perfect. Love that movie. Yeah, <laughs> and Michael um, McKean, also, Michael McKean as well. He's so good in that. He's unbelievable in it as the surfer yeah, guy. Yeah, oh, so good. <laughs> I also missed this as a child. I wonder. It was so omnipresent in the video store yeah. for me, but I just never saw it. Yeah, yeah. I remember like it playing on TV all the time. Uh, like I probably caught glimpses of it, but never really like rented it or like left it on the TV. Like I'm also not really sure how much I would have liked it as a child. Like it's probably colorful and like comedic enough mm-hmm. that I would have been into it. But still, I feel like I appreciate it more now than I would have as a kid. I actually, it's funny that you say that because I feel like the reason I saw it was for that that reason where it's like, it it was colorful. I was a kid, it kind of sucked me in because it was big and colorful, and then it had musical numbers, and I was a theater kid, so I was like, ah. But I actually kind of <laughs> didn't, the first time I saw it, I liked it enough, but I didn't, I was like upset with the musical numbers. I was like, oh, that wasn't really a musical. And then never saw it again. Yeah. And just was like, okay, well, that like, kind of musical that has that beautiful man in it. Yeah, I guess I like it. And then as an adult, I was like, oh, I get it. It's funny. I, I don't I think like that I would have liked it as a kid. Well, I'd actually know it. Never mind. I think I would have really liked it as a kid. But I know that my, like, I don't know if it consciously my parents did not show this to me as a child because it's definitely a little bit like, I called it on Letterboxd. I call it Pee Wee's Playhouse meets Penthouse, but it's right. not. I mean, it's not like softcore or anything. But there's definitely like a whole bunch of like boob jokes and like yeah, sex jokes with, that are pretty like Brown. PG. Yeah, I I kind of felt the same way. Like watching it, I definitely felt like, oh, I guess I can understand why I didn't see this as a kid because it is pretty risque. Like I was actually surprised with with how how far it goes with that stuff oh yeah it was kind of weird but then it was interesting that like it it did i don't know it it was like just a little bit sleazy but it never got bad enough like i thought there were enough like sort of even jokes apparently there was a a musical number called i like them big and stupid that got cut out and i'm kind of bummed about that I, I am bummed about that, too, because they have the blonde one, right. like the song about like there's blondes. And I feel like you almost need that. Like, and I also like big, dumb dudes. Yeah, like I think it was like actually sort of written pretty even and then maybe got kind of like cut, you know, because it, it sounded like he had trouble making it, Julian Temple. So like it, it it seems like it went through a couple iterations that I think, unfortunately, got 
maligned by the ni- 90s-ness, but, like, for the most part, I thought it was pretty fair. I mean, like, you get enough, like, you know, sort of, uh, I think, female fantasies of, you know, like, oh, like, this alien came down, Annie's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Annie, like, has a touch that can give me uh, an orgasm for 10 minutes, so great, <laughs> wonderful. Do you know which character was supposed to sing I Like Them Big and Stupid? It's a Julie Brown song. Okay, that's that was my yeah. guess. Yeah. That makes sense. That yeah. makes so much sense. It's on YouTube, yeah. and I guess it played in the background of the, the club scene. Because I, I remember listening to it, and I, was, I kept hearing the word stupid, and I was like, what is this song? <laughs> stupid. Stupid. But it totally would have been way better as like a musical number. Yeah. That's funny. Definitely. Yeah, I, lo- I loved it. I, I was really happy to have now you know circled around and seen earth girls are easy <laughs> yeah i i rewatched it less than a year ago i watched it uh it's in september and was like cracking up i was watching it with a friend and we were just like first of all she kept every time gina davis came on screen she was just like oh my god oh my god like could she be any more perfect <laughs> and then even She's when perfect. She, she is no i was you know she was making fun of me because I was like, yeah, but where's Jeff? And she's like, all right, <laughs> yeah. appreciate all the beauty. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but even when he's like an alien, you know, even when he comes out all blue and you're still kind of like, yeah, you know what, though? I would. <laughs> it's like the fish man in Shape of Water. I was like, yeah, I probably would. Yeah. Cuts a handsome figure. How about when, how about when he's a fly? in the fly <laughs> up until a point <laughs> be like all right here now now you've lost too many body parts i will say it was funny that in mr frost he's constantly bugged by a fly oh yeah he's like there's a there's like a running thing in mr frost where like a fly keeps flying around and he's like grabbing at it and being like Ugh, this fly actually you know what i think all three of those movies are sort of connected because you remember in earth girls are easy when they play the like um cocteau beauty and the beast mm-hmm. and there's like a whole scene and then the fly is definitely like a beauty and the beast and then so kind of is mr frost in some ways yeah and then they've got flies this is all connected it's a conspiracy yeah. theory man <laughs> <laughs> it's we picked these movies and the uh the listeners are gonna be like wow what a connection <laughs> you're optimistic dan <laughs> yeah uh, totally they decided these three movies to talk about <laughs> this yeah. totally makes sense <laughs> totally is there any other gold bloom mentions or or notable performances that we want to uh finish up with i think carlos should talk about the fly there is a limit, even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently perfect. You are about to go beyond that limit. I'm afraid! Don't be afraid! No, be afraid. Be very afraid. Uh, well, we've all seen The Fly, so we can all talk about The Fly. <laughs> what do you want me to say about The Fly? It's amazing. Like, it's it's the one Cronenberg movie that makes me feel like I should love all of his movies as much as this, but I just don't really. Like, there's a couple I like. Like, I really like Rabbit. And Rabbit's really good. Uh, the the Brood, I like. As, yeah, The okay, Brood, I like yeah. as well. Yeah, that one is good as well. I don't the really love, amazing. Sh- love Shivers, though. Shivers, I was kind of... Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, The Fly is amazing. 
it ju- it just that movie fucks me up on so many levels like emo- emotionally and like the body horror and, and like it all works and yeah just it's a really gina davis yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> you, <laughs> like you feel for both of them i think that's yeah, why exactly. the fly yeah. works so, you know you don't nobody's a villain in it it's just this like unfortunate accident moving forward and you're like well, oh except for that creep ass boss yeah, Gina Davis's boss is <laughs> that's kind of a villain. <laughs> he actually is in the second one as well for some reason. Like it's the only recurring character in The Fly 2, the that boss character. Yeah. And he's just like even more of a nothing character. Well, he has some character in the first movie, but in the second one, it's like, why is he even here? Like if you if you're not gonna have anyone else back, why bring him back? Yeah, it's, it's I got weird. tricked into watching The Fly too because there's <laughs> that amazing scene where the guy rips his own face off when he's melting, and that's been turned what? into like a GIF. Yeah. And and I saw the GIF, and I was like, "That's from The Fly too." Oh my god, I gotta see it. And then I watched The Fly too, and I was like, "Oh, this sucks." Yeah, well, see, the thing with The Fly too is it's a, it's a Chris Wallace movie. He directed it himself, and he did all the the fly like practical effects. Yeah. So the practical effects, the ones that are in The Fly too, mostly toward the end. Those are amazing. So totally. you will be tricked into thinking that movies are worth watching, but it is not. <laughs> I've sort of seen a lot of movies lately that people have been declaring as these like under underrated masterpieces and you know, even playing at places like the Castro, the Roxy, blah blah blah. And it's they're not good. It's like the the third Nightmare on Elm Street people love and you know, there's all like these old eighties, nineties movies that people are like, oh, my God, they're so good and they got so overlooked. And it's all because of the effects. It's just that they do have these like long lost practical effects that look great. And they've been able to sort of transition through not being great movies to being these like, you know, loved, beloved cult favorites because they have these really great effects. Oh, I love Nightmare on Elm Tree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's great. <laughs> Me I'm too. sorry. I just. <laughs> no. <laughs> You're allowed to not the like it. That's are fine. Great. <laughs> I wanted to throw in one more Goldblum. Uh, not necessarily as a this is a great movie that you should see, but in the sense of this is a truly terrible movie that is one that maybe needs to be seen to be believed. I know Carlo has seen this. Um, Hideaway I, from 1995. I, yeah. I knew. I knew you were going to mention that. <laughs> it's just. It's just one of those movies that you just you sit and you watch and you think like. I don't understand how this got made this way. (laughs) And it's about Jeff Goldblum who dies and then turns into like a CGI like spirit (laughs) with a little CGI Jeff Goldblum face and he floats around and comes back to life. You are selling this actually. I'm so ready to watch this. Yeah, you know, he comes he comes back to life and basically starts having visions of somebody murdering somebody. And it's like, he, this murderer is going to kill my daughter. I have to stop it. But at every step of the way, this movie makes the wrong decisions. It's just so unbelievably bad. Yeah. You kind of have to see it to believe it. Yeah, Alicia Silverstone's in it. Yeah, I was going to yeah. bring that movie up as well. Because, like, just explaining what it's about, it feels like the kind of thing that Jenna will be interested in. Because, like, Goldblum, <laughs> and not necessarily Satan, but, like, <laughs> like in that ballpark. Uh, but mm-hmm. you know who the director is for Hideaway, though, don't you, Dan? Yeah, yeah. Brett, Brett Leonard. Leonard. Yeah, the guy who directed Lawnmower Man. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. God. so, of course, it's a terrible movie. 
Uh, yeah, and it has that CGI '90s oh, yeah. thing going on where every time somebody, every time he dies, it, I think we get a bunch of these visions of him in like the aft, like the yeah. the limbo, and it's just his little like fake little CGI spirit floating around. <laughs> yeah, it's like super vapor ravey nonsense. Yeah, kind of amazing, it's, but it's terrible. But you got to see it. Yeah, but you kind of <laughs> also don't. <laughs> Any other gold bloom notables? Uh, I will just shout out that I really love him in his I'm a Pepper shirt in the Life Aquatic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's great on Portlandia. I don't know if anyone oh, else yeah. watches Portlandia, but he's mm-hmm. hysterical on it. So, uh, Yeah, one movie we didn't talk about. I know Dan saw this movie and just Dan uh, of you guys called Deep Cover. is a movie I really like. It has uh, Jeff Goldblum uh, starring uh, Larry Fishburne. He was called back then still oh. Lawrence Fishburne. Lawrence. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 kind of a like a crime movie where uh, Larry Fishburne's character goes undercover uh, to bust like some drug dealing guys. I think Jeff Goldblum is like one of those guys, but it's it's kind of a bizarre movie. Like, yeah, it's good. Yeah, it's I I really like this movie, but not necessarily. I'm not gonna say in an ironic way. But there are some really, like, bizarre dialogue choices in this movie. Like, this, even the shit that Goldblum says is just amazing. Uh, you've got Clarence, Clarence Williams Trina as well. Uh, let's see, Sidney Lassick. Um, yeah, I definitely recommend watching uh, Deep Cover. Yeah, it's it's cool. It's it's kind of like, a, I think, in my, my letterbox log for it, it's almost like it's from 1992 so it has this kind of like neo black exploitation thing yeah, going on totally yeah. and then i also said that uh, there's a point in the movie where jeff goldblum's in court and he is leaving court and he says audi 5000 and then struts at a court so <laughs> yeah that, that is kinda... that is that movie in a nutshell like it's there's a yeah. lot of moments like that where it's just like who wrote this yeah. shit and I yeah. want to meet them. Yeah, I got to watch this. <laughs> awesome. Is that it then for our Gold Bloom Roundtable? I think we covered I think we covered everything that was important about our favorite actor. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love that we just celebrated the kind of lesser scene of his career. I like that. That's what we're all totally, about here. Yeah. I got to I got to tell you guys one one really quick story. A friend of mine in high school went to go see Jeff Goldblum in a play. And she got, for whatever reason, the ability to go backstage and say hi to him. And she is very short and he is incredibly tall. (laughs) But her story was that she like came over to him and was like, and this is in high school, like, oh, hey, I'm like Mr. Goldblum. Like, I'm just like a really big fan. I think you're really wonderful. And and this was really good play. And like, you know, she's just like being like, you know, and like a nice fan. And he apparently like he looked down at her and he just went. That's so so in character. That's so Goldblum. Oh my god, that's that's the best Jeff Goldblum interaction I've ever heard. (laughs) That's amazing. That's so cute. Awesome. Well, uh, thank all of you for having this discussion, and uh, that's it. And we will uh, see everybody again sometime for another roundtable. Sure. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening. We're going to have more podcasts coming at you. Yes. Yeah, we love to talk, so yeah, it shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> Gabbing about God.
This episode of Notes from the Back Row featured contributors Jenna Ipkar, Veronica Dolginko, Carlo Vansefout, and Dan Gorman. You can reach out to Back Row at Back Row Cineblog on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can email us at backrowcineblog at gmail.com.